0: Experience the integration of athletics and business with the Leading Champions program. Created by the Center for Executive Development, Leading Champions is a unique program that will teach you to create a champion team. You'll learn from world-class Mays Business School faculty and hear from top Texas A&M athletic coaches and personnel in an unforgettable format. You won't want to miss out on this exclusive program. Visit tx.ag leadingchampions today for more information.
1: Welcome to Maze Mastercast. I'm Shannon Deer, the Assistant Dean of Graduate Programs. I'm here with our host, Ben Wiggins, and we have a special guest, Bronte Katimi. She is one of our former students who was in Ben's class and actually is an integral part of this podcast getting off the ground. We had hoped to have her as a co-host, but she is not living in town anymore. So we're just going to have her as a recurring guest as often as we can get her. Uh, But Bronte's here with us today. So Ronti, we want to know a little bit more about you. Can I start off with our icebreaker question that we use on every episode? Yes, please. Which is, what is your favorite superpower? I would
2: say flight. Yeah. That would be amazing. Either flight or like teleportation. Oh
1: my gosh. Wouldn't teleportation be nice? Be amazing. I would go see my family a lot more often.
2: Same. Yeah. Yeah, Because I'm from California and all of my family lives there. Yeah.
1: That'd be great. That would be really nice. Mm -hmm. All right. Tell us more about you. So where are you from? What were you doing before your MBA and what are you doing now? Perfect. I am originally from Southern
2: California, Orange County. Um, I moved to Texas about 10 years ago and went to two years of high school here. So throughout that whole process, I learned about Texas A&M, went here for undergrad, and then um, got into private education, worked in private education for two years, and then MBA. And now I work in supply chain at a small window hardware supply firm. Awesome.
0: What was the most important thing you discovered about yourself in that whole process? So let's start all the way from when you moved to Texas, all the way, say, up through now, but specifically with an emphasis on the MBA program.
2: I would say having to move from everybody I knew, family, friends, everything, all the way up until I was about 16, it really taught me that you know, I knew I was outgoing before, but now I know that that's a big strength of mine is I'm very outgoing. I love to meet new people being put in that environment where I had to. And I realized this is where I shine. And that was perfect for our MBA program where we were so close as a, as a class and as a cohort.
0: Mm-hmm. And you're back in town for Brisket Bowl this weekend. I was. Who did you run into while you were here?
2: Well, it was, a, it was a wild sighting. But uh, I saw Dr. Metters driving his Ops Man car, which he drives like a, what color is that, teal Camry that has a license plate that says Ops Man on the back. And what's funny about that is when we were in the MBA program the first semester, all of us kept taking pictures of that car, not knowing that that was Dr. Metters. <laughs> <laughs> and we would see it all the time. Go, oh, look at this guy. You know, he's, he must be a professor. Then we found out it was Dr. Metters.
0: That's great, mm-hmm. and Doctor Matters. Uh, I just saw him in the wild for the first time myself, and <laughs> that man is jacked. He is, that, uh, mm-hmm. dude is, yeah I, yeah. I felt I felt very inadequate standing next to him.
1: He has not always been that jacked. This is a this is a more recent life goal he has set for himself. I know with y'all's class, um, y'all had Nick Bailey in your class who was basically a jacked bodybuilder. As well. I yeah. mean. <laughs> Did he do competitions or was he just really jacked?
0: I think he was just really jacked because Mm -hmm. I asked him where he worked out once and he said, quote, I don't work out. And I said, what?
1: I don't I don't know if I buy that. No. So what
2: he did was he worked out a lot and ate shopping carts worth of meat.
1: Yeah. So much meat. Yeah, he really did. I mean, he was so much protein driven for sure exactly. okay. but the one of my favorite experiences from y'all's class was um, we do follies which is a big event and fundraiser for an organization here in town called camp life that does camp for children with disabilities and it's a camp day they get to go rock climbing and horseback riding and all kinds of camp things that are that accommodate their disabilities and so they get full access to camp but they were raising money, and so the faculty members donate experiences. Y'all all know this, but I'm going to tell our listeners, but faculties all donate, donate experiences like dinners or different things, and I donated a day at a trampoline park, which was fabulous. But uh, Dr. Metters did a challenge where whoever, it was it's a live auction, so whoever bid the most money gets to challenge him to three physical activities. One was a bench press. One was a 5K and the last one was a racquetball game. And if the student beat him at all three, they had to win at all three. Dr. Matters would give them a thousand dollars. And so Nick Bailey accepted the challenge. And actually, his wife did not, Dr. Matters' wife did not know that he had. Done this that he was going to give away a thousand dollars, and so I think y'all some some buddy from y'all's class sold him out, and she was a little a little taken back by it. But he challenged Nick, and were y'all there for that? I missed it, but it was I, so funny. We had basically in one of the group chats
2: like a live. Oh yeah, tweet, you know, yeah, uh, similar to that of, yeah. of the
1: events like it was like round 1 uh-huh. Nick wins. It was just it was great. <laughs> well, and Nick beat Rich but or Dr. Matters, uh-huh. but one of our other faculty members, Dr. James Abbey he competed too. So Rich let all the other faculty come for the different events if they wanted to. And I think that James won even beat Nick by a lot. Um and then Dr. Metters had little trophies and one was like he had just replaced the whatever. What is that called? The plaque, the plaque. on it. And mm-hmm. so it was like a ballerina. And then there was one that was a cow, um, <laughs> For I guess, for like FFA judging. And funny yeah, story about the trophies. Mm-hmm. Uh, me and
2: Ellen picked them.
1: Oh, did you? <laughs> we were in his office one time and he goes, hey, ladies,
2: I really need your help. I don't remember who we were even going to go speak with, but he comes flying by and he goes, I need your help. Oh, yeah, sure. What what do you need? He goes, I have to get trophies for this event that I'm doing with Nick. <laughs> what do you think? And I believe we tossed out the idea of ballerina and Ellen had done FFA stuff. And so yeah. she said FFA trophy or 4-H trophy. Uh-huh. Well, bowling was one of the ones
1: we yes, thought of. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure that was one. Well, it landed well. I'll say that it landed really well. It was so funny. That's awesome.
0: So wait, I I was not up to speed on all this. I knew the mm-hmm. challenge was happening, but Nick won all three.
1: No, he did not. So <laughs> Nick had actually the weekend before he had run the marathon. marathon with, I think, Brock and maybe Emily and Kate. There there were a lot of y'all's class that ran that marathon. It's A little shout out to our friend, Chris Field, who will be on the show at some point. But it's the BCS Marathon here in town that raises money for Mercy Project. Check out all of those things. Um, But they had run the marathon the weekend before. And then on, I think the challenge was like a Tuesday, maybe a Wednesday. And so they ran a marathon. Nick won the bench press against Dr. Matters. But then the 5K, Nick phoned it in i mean a bunch of them that had run the marathon decided to run this 5k and and so dr metters said i was only a few feet behind him but nick was not even trying and so he was like and he had just run a marathon <laughs> so nick smoked him on the run uh, and had a lot left in the burners to go and then uh dr metters i think beat him pretty badly on the racquetball that was where Dr. Metters had a had a ringer in there to to protect his a thousand dollars, I think. Right, exactly. Right. Well, it was a fun event, and all the crazy antics we do in our in our program, right? Yes. Well, one more real quick, matters
2: Over the summer during my internship, I we did something called um, sales and operations planning meetings every month at my company. We still do, and our VP of supply chain at the time, he took me through that whole process, which was great. And it's very essential in a lot of companies. They don't always do it. And so he told me, hey, if you want any of your professors to come by, I'd be happy to talk to them. I sent an email to Dr. Metters and he said, you know, I'm coming up there to visit some family in Plano. I'll swing by. And he came and talked to my VP. But in the class that I had before, this was pre- workout Matters. He showed up at my office and I didn't even recognize him. He'd lost so much weight and gained so much muscle and everything. I was like, wow, that's pretty cool. But yeah, he went walking by my desk and I didn't even recognize him. Good
0: to see you. Uh,
1: (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. And actually, uh, I mentioned Dr. James Abbey, but Dr. Metters and Dr. Abbey Pitched the elective to y'all's class around Halloween. Do y'all remember that? Yes. However, uh, Doctor Abby was Uh not there. It was Was just Doctor. Okay. Okay. (laughs) So they were um, they were a pair that day for Halloween. They had dressed up for Halloween. So tell them what they were dressed up as. They were um, Hans and Franz. Mm.
2: They were it was an SNL skit, I Uh think. So they were these big bodybuilder looking dudes with these like full one piece sweatsuits. Here's a present for
0: your girlfriend. (laughs) uh
2: And like these big fake muscles. So he showed up by himself on Halloween to pitch this to us and. All of the other professors are there, they're not in costume. <laughs> <laughs> Doctor Metters is like, "Well, okay." <laughs> You're like, "This class could be fun or or terrible." Or, I don't or, know. Yeah, uh, turned Luckily, out to be was an amazing
1: class. Yeah, it yeah. wow. was incredible.
0: Tim died when. I, Tim Dye, who was our wonderful uh, investments professor, he won the teaching award that was voted on by students, despite only teaching an elective that was taken by 40% yeah. of the class, maybe yeah. maybe less. Is a great teacher. Shout out to Dr. Dye. But so I remember seeing his face when Metters walked in <laughs> and Dr. Dye, who I had not yet met at the time, looks up and goes, he he did the head tilt thing.
1: Like,
0: yeah. <laughs> it was, it was, I could tell, like his brain was just sort of <laughs> fracturing.
1: <laughs> like how how am I going to sell my class, or or I'm either gonna like this is going to be the easiest sell or the uh-huh. hardest sell mm-hmm. with this guy dressed up exactly. in a bodybuilding suit.
0: So let's talk a little bit about the program. Obviously, it's a very rigorous program. So Bronte, as a classmate of mind, you you and I. Learned fairly closely with each other, especially in the first semester. But over the course of the entire program, what was the most significant way that you transformed during that window of time in your life?
2: One thing that was a big deal for me was rising to the challenge. Hmm. In the beginning, I don't want to say I was complacent, I took it very seriously, but I just wasn't at the level that I should have been. And There were some instances where I felt I did as well as I could, and there were other times where I definitely felt I didn't. And admitting that to myself and then pressing forward to do much better in the second semester and third semester, that was the biggest thing that made me transform was, okay, this is what I'm actually capable of, and here's where I've been phoning it in. So now I know what my limits are.
0: Phoning it in just in the sense of not putting in the time? Exactly.
2: It, It was probably... You know, I just had problems with my priorities, I think. I tended to study the things I really enjoyed and not so much the things I didn't. I was sort of in denial about them. So I would put them on the back burner while I was studying the things that I enjoyed and making connections with people, which was a huge important thing. But it my schoolwork should have definitely taken precedent and figuring
1: out those priorities was very important. I think that's a, a challenge that a lot of students have probably when they come into any MBA program, I just can't speak to that. But certainly in ours is that one, you've been a high performer in your life already, or you probably wouldn't be coming to an MBA program, but then everyone in the room is a high performer and the level is just different. And, and likely you didn't have to try that hard in undergrad. And, and so you're thinking, Hey, I can bring this same level of commitment to this MBA program. And it, it does, it does hit students or kind of shocks them a little bit at first and you were surviving, but you really did learn to thrive after that. And that, that was something really cool for me to see about you. And I think what, what I think is important about that experience of learning kind of what you can do, what this level takes is that it doesn't end in the MBA program. A lot of people think, Oh, well, I have to try really hard for my first semester because it's hard. Well, no, you have to keep trying really hard because when you sign up for an MBA, you sign up for an MBA level job with MBA level expectations when you graduate. And it just doesn't end the the challenge doesn't end when you graduate. That's exactly right. And that has been such an important thing going forward in my
2: new career is knowing, OK, these are you know, this is my level and mm-hmm. knowing when I can be putting in more effort and what I'm actually capable of. I feel like before the MBA program I didn't have a really good idea of what I was capable of.
0: Was there a watershed moment that you like saw something or thought something or heard something that made you say okay, it's time now. And broadly the question is like what made you what made you brave? Like what made you rise to the challenge? What made you say okay, it's it. things need to be different now.
2: Our MBA program has very rigorous academic standards that you have to meet. And I did not take those seriously until I started to do poorly in a couple of classes. I got a couple C's and going into the mini master, which is after our winter break, we have a mini master. We do two classes. I had to do well in both of those classes or I wasn't going to be able to continue in the program. Oh. And that was really the point where. I had to kick it into high gear and I learned big time about myself that, you know, I, it does, it shouldn't take something like that to make me put in the effort that I know is, is there, is there for me to succeed.
0: But on the other hand, it, maybe it should or shouldn't, but in this case, it, it helped you decide what was
2: really important to you. Yeah, I lit a fire. And I thought this program means so... I think that's what it was. Is this program meant so much to me. I didn't realize how much it meant to me mm-hmm. until it w- I was about to lose it because of my actions. So it it was perfect.
0: Some people, you squeeze them and they focus. Uh, Others fold. Exactly.
2: That's the truth. That was a big lesson I learned from that is it should not take to the point where it's, you know, <laughs> life and death for, for me to show what I
1: actually can do. I remember the conversation that we had that day, or well, we had multiple conversations, but I remember specifically a conversation when we said, here's the terms and conditions of you staying in this program. And what, and we were, we were in Amber's office, who was the associate director at the time. And what I remember was knowing that you were very capable of, of doing this, But what I also remember, and we actually mentioned you on a previous podcast because you have positivity in your top five strings. And it comes out very much. And I think especially at that time, it was it was coming out a lot. And so you were presenting this very positive front of everything's okay and it's gonna be okay. And and this program is great. And I'm so glad to be in it. And and all of that was. what made you so well liked by everyone around you? And it was also.
0: Besides me, of course.
1: Right, right. Ben really <laughs> just can't stand Bronte. Um, <laughs> what, what, it's what made people like you. It also, I think, gave you a little bit of a. I don't I don't know if it was a false sense of security. There was something there that it was like, yeah, good. I'm glad that you're positive and you think this is all going to turn out. And now I need you to make that happen. I need you to put the action behind making that happen. Match the action with the attitude. Right. That was kind of you. You nailed it.
2: Honestly, that's exactly what it took. And I. I hadn't thought about it in those exact terms, but you're exactly right. That I was so positive, I was casting this mm-hmm. rosy glow over everything. Mm-hmm. It's all going to be fine. It's all going to work out. Everything works out, and that wasn't the case. I had to really be the one to step up, and you know, kind of not necessarily push my positivity aside, but apply it in a different, right. different way to right. make myself successful.
1: As and we can talk about this someday, but with every strength, we do the Clifton strengths and with every strength, there's a shadow side, right? And you, we were seeing that shadow side in that moment that, yeah, we love that you're positive because it certainly makes our job easier. But we also, and the other thing, the other piece of that was, we want you to be positive. We also need you to be realistic about it so that you can tell us what help you need, right? If you're always saying, this is good, it's it's okay, I've got this, this is gonna be all right. And not saying, hey, this I, I believe this is gonna be okay, but here's what I need from you to help me get there that that's really important too. Exactly. You guys did a great job coaching me in that moment, because
2: I think there were, there would have been a lot of things that you could have said where I wouldn't have taken it as seriously as I did. Yeah. And that's it good. was, it was really important. I, like I took it, up. I took it very seriously, but it wasn't soul crushing to the right. point where I was like, well, I can never do this. You know, it right. didn't turn into that. It turned into, you can do this, but you need to step up. Yeah, you know, push that positivity aside or drive it somewhere else yeah. to make yourself successful in this program. It's awesome. Mm-hmm.
0: Was it, was it scary?
2: Yes. Yeah. It was so scary. And that month, it's about a month, the mini mester mm-hmm. was really stressful. It was very stressful. And I'm the kind of person I don't show stress very easily. That was terrible. It was very, very stressful, but you know, it's something I obviously survived and got past and it was, it was okay
0: what was the most important like habit you picked up or adjustment you made to how you handle your daily life? Was there, was there a thing you could point to that you could say you mentioned earlier, like some of it was just doing the work and, and spending time on stuff where you weren't as strong, but is there a more specific thing that you could point to that's that where if a student were struggling, you could Mm -hmm. say, think about trying this, think about doing this. Was there a thing you could point to?
2: Absolutely. The thing for me was preparation. I was putting in, you know, bare minimum for the most part on preparation, thinking I got this, I can sail right through this. And that had been the case in undergrad. I was able to put in pretty bare minimum and do well. And that was true for sure in high school and at my job before. So I was not really used to having to go that extra mile of preparation. And Is that before class preparation or was that? Before class, Yeah, yes. And then of course for tests too. But the before class preparation, it kind of falls into line for Mm -hmm. tests after Mm -hmm. that point Mm -hmm. because you have everything to look back on. The other thing is I'm a very collaborative person. I found a group of um, women in my case, they just happened to all be women that were super supportive and we all helped each other study. And they were definitely a big key to my success. Finding a group of people who were just as driven, maybe even more so sometimes, uh, so like that I could look up to and strive to be like, and who, you know, encouraged me. And, and I told them everything. I was super open and honest with them. Like, look, this is, these are the stakes right now. And this is what I need. And can you guys help me? And they
1: did. Yeah, that's nice. I know too, one of the questions I have for you eventually is what impact do you think that you two had on this program or what are impacts that you had on this program? But I know one of the things that both of you together did was going to your professors and saying, here's what we need as far as additional practice problems and additional help. And I think that's something that is really hard for a lot of students to do and the, the that, I mean, is advocating for themselves in, based on what they need. So and And I think it's hard for a couple of reasons. One, as much as our professors most of the time aren't intimidating, there is still a power dynamic there, right? And so some students feel uncomfortable going to a professor, period, and then certainly going to a professor and admitting some kind of vulnerability. That can be really difficult. But... I appreciated that you all did that on behalf of yourselves and your class to say, here's what we need to be successful. And to a point, every single one of them said, okay. Mm -hmm. to to a degree, you know, they might have said, okay, but here's how we're going to do that. Or uh, but they they were willing to meet you with what you needed at that time. And but it was and that's because our professors are great. But it's also because you all were great at being able to advocate for what you need in a way.
0: One thing that pushed me in that direction was a conversation that you and I had very early on during orientation in the program. You were correctly, you uh, were Mm -hmm. on me a little bit about having my phone out during lectures. And uh, so I came to talk with you after that and I said, "I I need to... I'm, I'm not a good lecture learner. This is something that we've talked about on the podcast as well yeah. previously. Um, I'm not a good lecture learner. Um, and this is something that I'm probably going to, I need to grow beyond that. But also I need to acknowledge mm-hmm. that it is a weakness for me. And, and sitting in class and taking notes is never going to be my strength. Um, and so what that then led me to realize about myself was I only start, learning i I really don't start assimilating information Mm -hmm. until i have to apply it and so practice problems were really necessary for me not because one thing that changed for me in the mba program relative to previous education was the most important thing wasn't getting an a Mm -hmm. it was making sure that i was learning everything that i could possibly learn and so i learned i realized during this process that I learned best when I had, when I had something to push against, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And if I was in a situation where I was just sort of like kind of having to track the information and not sure what I had to use it to move, if that makes sense. It was really difficult for me to sort of build the model in my mind.
1: Yeah.
0: I don't know if that makes sense.
1: Totally. Y'all, y'all actually hit on a lot of, so my PhD is actually in education and human resource development and I really am interested in how people learn and how their brain works and y'all have hit on actually some real science of learning right that the that application is so important that the transference of knowledge so can I take this knowledge from you're talking to me about a theory and apply it to a different situation apply it at work apply it to these this set of practice problems all of that is is really important parts of learning that professors often want to get right and sometimes do and sometimes don't and sometimes do in the big picture and don't in partial things. And I think as a learner to know, this is what I need. This is what I'm going to go seek. This is what's going to help me to focus and not be a distraction to other people in the room or whatever it is. Those are really important things. The other thing that is interesting hearing y'all talk about that is this, as a faculty member, the balance between challenge and care is really important and really, really hard to get right. So, for example, I have to know going into that conversation with Bronte, I have to know her, maybe not her strengths, but I, I literally, but I have to know something about her to know how I need my message to land, right? Because I don't want Bronte to walk out of that conversation and go I can't do this this is it's too much pressure it's too hard I can't do this I don't want that level of stress but I do want the level of stress that gets Bronte going and motivated and moving and doing the things that she needs to do right or you know even the conversation with you about the phone I don't want to I don't want to have that conversation with you period because it's not easy always to get feedback but I don't I I want to say hey Ben do you know how that looks to other people, which is so hypocritical of me, by the way, as we know, because we've talked about this on the podcast so often, I'm like, I'm on my laptop in every meeting and because otherwise I'm flipping out and like, can we move this along? But,
0: but that was one thing that made me listen to you Right. was you said, when I said, look, this is just a weakness of mine and I need to, before we go any farther, I need to acknowledge that. And you said, Hey, guess what?
1: Yeah. <laughs> me too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which also is a way of saying a uh, nice try on the cop out and you have to learn how to, you know, you have to learn how to adapt to it as I have to learn how to adapt to it because I can't just blame it. It's kind of, you called me out the other day on, in a good way on, I said, but I really like, I don't really like to relax by just sitting around. I really want to be on doing two things at once. And you said, that's fine. If that's how, how you're spending your time by yourself, it's not so fine if that's how you're spending your time with other people. And it's the same we can just hold each other accountable on this issue. Mm-hmm. All Somewhere the time. Professor yeah.
0: Krychek is smiling right <laughs> Somewhere.
1: now. <laughs> Somewhere. <laughs> uh, um, the other piece that Ben mentioned that's interesting is this not trying to just get an A piece of learning that I think is so important. And, and I think if, you know, Bronte, you were you were shaking your head when he was saying it because it is a shift. Right. And I just need to learn how, uh, as much as I can and and hope. And likely it will. The grade will follow, right? And so, one of the things I think that students can think about that drives that is, I remember, you know, when you're at work, a ninety is not enough, right? A ninety percent on a work project is not enough. On a on a class project, you're like, yeah, nailed that. Let's move on. Uh, but on a work project, that feels terrible, right? Because you've got ten percent even if it's a 95, you're like, oh, didn't, didn't nail that one. So I think that's really important to think about. I need to learn as much as I can. I need to do as well as I can. And there's balance in there, right? Like you can't get a hundred on everything. You can't even get a 90 on everything, do the best that you can. But, but if you're doing the best that you can and learning as much as you can, that's really what's so important and translates so much better at work. True. I agree.
0: A lot of the way that this tied together for me was the two best pieces of advice that I got in the program. We've also talked about mm-hmm. this before. Um, were from Dr. Devers at the at, during admitted students weekend mm-hmm. back in April. This would have been April two years ago, so two and a half years ago now, uh, where she said, People want mba students come in wanting to show how smart they are and to focus on outputs instead you should focus on inputs Mm -hmm. be thirsty to learn be a sponge take in all the information that you can and then i forget who gave us this advice during orientation was the most important factor once you sort for gmat score and previous gpa previous work experience all that the thing and obviously everybody comes to class Um, so then the most important variable that will determine your grade is time spent with professors Mm -hmm. and office hours. So then when you put those two things together and I know about myself and I'm learning about myself that the, that I have to have something to sort of push against in order to really start learning, it was a natural evolution to go to the professors and say, may we have more. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and that, that wasn't necessary with every professor, almost all of them responded favorably. and. The inspiration to do that was in part when Raheem Siraj shared his practice problem set with us before the first statistics Mm -hmm. exam in Kumar's class. And so in accounting, going into the final, we didn't have a practice problem set. Professor Reese, who was a wonderful professor, um, had said all of the practice problems in the book are good. And the issue with with that was there were so many problems in the book that to try to do them all would have been completely overwhelming. Mm-hmm. And so I went to him and said, could I select practice problems and have you approve them and then send them to the class? And he said, sure. I don't see why not. Um, and so uh, I did. And he did. And we did. And it seemed like it was helpful to the students.
1: And the other important piece of that was that you didn't go to him and say, can you do this thing for us? You said, can I do this thing? Right. And it's it's such a key aspect of even just taking responsibility. Even if you had said, can I write these practice problems and you do this? It, It makes I mean, professors are human, too. Right. And they need to know that you're taking responsibility that you're putting in the effort. And I think that's what y'all demonstrated really nicely in that.
0: Something I learned from previous work experience. I learned this when I was working in football from our offensive coordinator at the time, Les Kenning, and then learned it all over again when I was in Hollywood was make it easy for your boss. Mm -hmm. Like if you can set it up to where all they have to do is look at it and say yes or say yes, but change that. You're so much more likely to get a positive result than if mm-hmm. you put more work on their plate. Mm-hmm. Totally. So
2: exactly. And I uh, kind of going back to what you were saying about the practice problems. One thing that you did really well, Ben, was besides you know doing the work and saying, "Hey, can you approve this for us?" The fact that you said "for us" instead of "for me," mm-hmm. I think made a big difference in our MBA program. And it's way easier to advocate on behalf of the class and and sound really positive and seem like you're really involves for the professors and actually be really involved for the professors. And it's, you know, it's it's so important to not go in there and be like, well, how can I get ahead of everybody? And that luckily in our class was really not a problem. We didn't, we all really liked each other a lot and we didn't have a problem with people being cutthroat. And that was something that yeah. it worked really well in everybody's favor
0: it 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 helped it helped everyone and and i give i give credit to raheem because he he took the first step on that and i think everybody was sort of hopeful that that was the way that it would go that we really would stand for those values on the wall over there but when when he took that step it was very easy to be the second mover and mm-hmm. then to say okay we're all in every this is how it's going to be and anybody who doesn't want to do it this way you guys go over there mm-hmm. um, because we because the university and the and the business school says this is what we're about, and this other guy has taken the first step, and it was good that it was, it 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 meant something coming from Raheem because he was someone that our class trusted, and yeah. and he was it was obvious that he was going to be a leader early on in the program. People looked to him to set a precedent, and he did. He did a really good job and set a very favorable precedent. And from there, it was, you know, I mean, it, it was, it was much easier to make the second move.
1: Yeah, absolutely. We didn't do this with your class, but with the last two classes, we started having them set their own culture code. So we'll, we'll talk about this on the podcast at some point, cause we're going to have the, one of the leaders who kind of facilitated that process for the current class, come and talk about it. He's, he does a fantastic job, but we so we literally just turn them loose in a room for a couple of hours and say okay set a culture code mm-hmm. and you know it's something that companies have but set that and come out of the room and tell us tell us if in, we'll give you a couple of weeks but tell us what it is and one of the things that the way that they described that phenomenon you're talking about was collaborative excellence that they want to excel as a a unit and not as an individual and while they kind of coin the phrase or put it in their culture code. It's been a long standing culture in the May's MBA program that this is, it is not, while many of us are competitive as individuals, we are not competitive with each other. Our competition is all of the other schools and not competition with each other. And we see that manifest in some incredibly beautiful ways. And, and so just this last week, we had a meeting with our full-time MBA advisory board, which is made of a lot of executives and. We got to hear from one of them on the podcast, Mike Thompson, and Mm -hmm. and the student who now presents the culture code for the class on behalf of the class. He did that with the advisory board and they were blown away by that collaborative excellence piece because they know it to be so true for the Mays MBA that it really is this group environment and how important they're seeing that become for their companies that People who are just in it for themselves are not going to succeed, and they really need people who are in it for the collective. Did y'all see that in different tangible ways? I mean, you talked about that with Raheem, certainly. I know I have some examples. but Yeah, especially when we were looking for internships and jobs. Yes.
2: If someone ran upon an opportunity that they knew they weren't interested in or they had already tried for it, didn't work out, something to that extent immediately to the, um, you know, group me or, or WhatsApp that we use, boom, here's an opportunity. Everybody go apply for it. And that was something that was a total lifesaver for tons of people in our cohorts that we were super collaborative on positions. We weren't very competitive with each other and we helped everybody get one.
0: Ray was pretty good. was particularly was good amazing. about that. <laughs> That's um,
2: exactly who I was thinking about when I was yeah, saying that.
0: Yeah. Even, even after like, like if even up to a few months after graduation, he huh. was still sending stuff. He's just, he really did a, really did yeoman work That's um, cool. on that.
2: He did. Can I ask a behind the scenes question, yes. Shannon? What made you guys come up with the idea to give the new classes a culture code or to, to have them come up with their own? That's a good question.
1: Yeah. So I think in any organization, you have a culture, whether it's intentional or not, and in any class within an MBA program, you have a culture, whether it's intentional or not. And I, I actually was reading a book by Frederick Bachman. It's a not. It was a novel, not a not a self help book. I usually like to read for just the fun of it. But Frederick Bachman's books are ama- amazing. He's, I think he's a Swedish author and they've translated them into English, but they're so cute and they're really fun. And his one of my favorites, so I'll give him a shout out, uh, he doesn't need it. He's a best-selling author. But one of my favorites is um I think it's my grandmother told me to tell you I'm sorry. And it's all written like the narrator is a little girl and and he's a male author and and that's really hard to do, I think you know there's some great authors who have narrated female voices but it's it's tough and it so is. he does that as a little girl and her grandmother is quite eccentric and but anyway there was one about it was a pretty deep book it's called Bear Town I think there there's two of them and I one of them for sure is called Bear Town but I think they both are and it's it's a series but it's about a hockey team in a very cold climate, I think in, in Sweden, but it's about a hockey team. And there's an issue with sexual assault in the novel. And, and I, I don't want to give any of the novel away. Um, But, but there's an issue with sexual assault in the novel. And what the line in the novel that really struck me and then inspired us to do this culture code was culture is as much about what you tolerate as what you encourage. I think it, it I may be paraphrasing that a little bit, but culture is as much about what you tolerate as what you encourage. And there were a few times, especially with y'all's class where I felt like I didn't always have those tough conversations and yours was minor about the phone, but I didn't always have those tough conversations with, Hey, do you understand how you are impacting the culture of your class with some of your classmates? And I thought, you know what, I could do that. I I need to step up and do more of that. And I, I certainly did and have with future classes and to kind of learn that lesson. But I also need the class to decide that this is going to be their culture and they decide what they're going to tolerate and not tolerate and hold each other accountable. Because at the end of the day, I am not going to work in May's graduate programs forever. I'm certainly I'm, I'm not even going to be the full time MBA director forever, as we know, because I'm transitioning to a new role, but you all will wear the brand of the maze MBA forever. So it is immensely more important to you that people live the culture than it even is to me. And so why not make that? The class's responsibility, and so it really was. This is going to be your code, and when you're not living up to it, you get to call each other out on it because y'all agreed as a class that this was what, this was who you were going to be, and so and and we do from time to time we'll pop it up and say, hey, are you living this? We had an issue with our students get an Aggie ring; uh, it is much coveted, and. There are <laughs> they're flashing their Aggie rings. You cannot see them, but they are they are proudly flashing their Aggie rings, which are beautiful. Um, and there are two ring days right now. There's one for domestic students and one for international students, and it, it has nothing to do with us intentionally segregating those two groups. It's just because of the way that the coursework falls for international students versus domestic students for legal. Reasons for complying with international student services or federal government, but so it creates two different two different classes. Well, the, their class, they said diversity and inclusion was part of their culture code. This last class that's about to graduate, and so I said, okay, so then order order your Aggie rings later so that everybody can get them at the same time. And they were like, uh, no, <laughs> like we don't want to order our Aggie rings later because that's two months. We could have our Aggie rings on campus and at football games. And, and I said, okay, then you're not, you're not living this or come up with something else. And so they, they, they got their rings, but they came up with some compromises of celebrating their rings together at the same time. Once everyone had gotten them, some students did opt to wait. So we had a larger majority of students as individuals say, Hey, I'm, I'm going to live that code and and I don't I don't blame the students who chose to get their rings earlier because they really did at the same time say, I want to go ahead and get my ring, but I do want to live the diversity and inclusion part of our culture code, and so I'm going to I'm also going to wait to really celebrate that with once our whole class has gotten the ring so so it's it gives us some legs to stand on to say, but you said, this is what you're going to do. And right now you're not doing that or we're, we're not seeing it. So what are you going to do? You know, how are you going to modify that? That was a really excellent
2: example because that was something that I already had my Aggie ring, so I didn't have to get mine. But, uh, when I found out that the international students had to get theirs later, I was like, oh, well, we should all just get ours later. And I, I remember saying that to a few people and they're like, no, but, that being said, we did a very similar thing where yeah. we had one big ring dunk, and then uh, when the international students got theirs, we hosted another one, mm-hmm. and that was a blast. Yeah. It was
1: such a good time, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. But it's still tricky, right? And it, I it mean, is. it's it's still a challenging issue. And I actually, I actually, naively, this was a mistake, thought I could not tell the students that there were two ring days, and just or that that they could that they were even eligible to order. This was so ignorant of me but well I think I know what you're gonna say and I was gonna suggest that why don't you just tell them to all order it for- I did I did I did and then they they found out and they got so mad at me and I was like well that was really dumb of me. I mean in hindsight that wasn't smart either like just <laughs> tricking them doesn't I wouldn't, I wouldn't have had the foresight to see that at all i would have yeah. thought oh that's perfect we'll just tell well us. i didn't i didn't have the foresight
2: either i did i did what i mean is i totally but understand they found out <laughs> so it's pretty not
0: much. it's not you who goes and finds that out we all like
2: no i would have been like whatever <laughs> yeah no we, yeah we yeah know. you're not the person that <laughs> no. goes and
1: takes for it we
0: know which classmates would have gone yeah. and found yeah, out i have like we don't five people to, running yeah. through my head right we don't, now yeah. we don't need to name yeah. any names
1: <laughs> no but they did they, they <laughs> found out and then i was like well that and and honestly even if they hadn't found out that's not the best approach because it doesn't give them the chance to make a choice to live up to the expectation, right? It's just tricking them into living up to the expectation, which (laughs) is not, not great either. So yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Agency. Yeah. Um, Uh yeah. Well, it's, it's in how to win friends and influence people. Uh Uh, Carnegie says, you know, give the other person a great name to live up to you know, give them ownership in things, help it be their idea, that sort of thing. But, um, and more often than not, when you give people the opportunity to do that, they come through. Every now and then they'll, every now and then they disappoint you. Um, <laughs> Which is
1: on them and not me, right? Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. Absolutely right. Yeah.
0: So after all that, Bronte, what impact did completing the program have on you and your family, career, organization, etc.? What do you think were the, one or two or three most important things that that the program did for you and yours
2: yeah um on a really basic level i got a business education and i did not have that before i studied science in undergrad and i really i had gotten into business a little bit in my previous job but i thought i'm really interested in this and this is something that i'd really like to learn more of And going through the MBA program was amazing. I got a phenomenal business education, not just Mm -hmm. a business education. And it also, because it was so challenging, and I talked about those, you know, expectations and the standards that I can pull myself up to, I know that going forward. And in looking for positions, I know I can do that. That's something that I can do. Or in my current position, I know that I you know, what I'm capable of and what my limits are much better than I ever did before. I know now this is a project that I can take on. And I'm also much less afraid to take on new things. I was a little bit afraid of failure before. Now I know it just comes with the territory, you know, and I just try things more. And that's invaluable. And you make more money. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) To say the least.
0: I think one of the one of the really good things that's come out of the push for diversity is that now in 2018 it is standard fare for women to be saying things like that to each other mm-hmm. all the time. You know, you'll make more money if you do it this way. You take more chances. Do it this way. Don't like don't be concerned about what people may say about you, like it's, it's really good. Just be excellent. Mm -hmm. Um,
2: That's a good one. And one thing I learned about women in particular in the MBA program is that a lot of times we'll count our chickens before they hatch uh and we will go into things thinking, well, I'm going to get married in five years. So I'm not sure if I want to pursue this opportunity or I'm planning to have kids in three or four years. So I don't know if I, and holding ourselves back because we plan ahead way farther, um, even though those things haven't materialized or they're not even visible in -hmm. the future. And that kind of thing is really, really important.
0: So what impact have you been able to have as a result of completing the program?
2: Oh, absolutely. So especially in the company that I'm in, it was small to begin with, Mm -hmm. but then we were acquired back in March and uh, which was about six months ago or so. And from there, we had a lot of consolidation and which we we knew was coming. We just weren't sure to what level. So I had, we had about 40 people working in the corporate level. We're down to about 17. And supply chain is me right now. <laughs> so um, we had a lot of leadership. They, they moved on. We had some people also move on just because they were unsure of the changes. And I stuck it out. And I um, have really risen to that challenge of, you are the go-to person in supply chain. And even though I don't always have all of the knowledge, I know who I can talk to to get to to the answer that I need. And I've just really stepped into some things like, okay, I don't really know what I'm doing here, but I'm going to give it a shot. And um, hopefully things will work out or I'll go talk to somebody, run it past them, even somebody who's not in supply chain. Just those kinds of things. I felt like I've had a really positive impact in my company, just keeping things afloat.
1: I imagine that a lot more responsibility has fallen on you going from 40 employees 17 being the sole supply chain expert. Uh, I imagine more responsibility has fallen on you. How have you kind of navigated or negotiated that with the people that you work with? You know, I think a lot of times, maybe my MO and my career has been just say yes, as much as possible, and then good things will happen. And I don't know that that's the best strategy. And so how have you done that? Maybe successfully, not successfully navigated the additional responsibilities? Well, addition, or originally I was pulled into the CEO's
2: office and he mentioned all of the new responsibilities that could be coming to me. And I felt very overwhelmed by that question. And I told him, no, you know, I, that's not something that I really want to do. I don't think I'm ready. I told him this is my first role in supply chain. I don't think I'm ready to be making these huge decisions for our company. And while he did understand that, it's still a lot of it fell onto my shoulders. And so from there, what I have done is made my limitations very clear to everybody who talks to mm-hmm. me about I guess raw material is a really good example. I really have no experience with procuring raw material now I do because mm-hmm. it was just here it is nobody else is around to do it you have to take a look at this and you have to help finance with it and so I've worked really closely with finance learned a lot on that front but I've always been very upfront with them with these are my limitations. I'll give it my best shot but you know I've been very 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 honest going forward and I think that's very important, but yeah, you do have to learn to say no. And I've instituted a very strict do not send me requests after four pm. Oh. They're not going to happen until the next day,
1: yeah, that's a good that's a good uh, very practical, tangible boundary, right <laughs> exactly. I mean to set for yourself. i I think you I love that you have the confidence to be able to say, this is a limitation that I have, right? That takes a lot of confidence, actually, to be able to say, I, there are things I don't know how to do. And yes, I'm good enough at all the other things that I do that it's okay that I don't know how to do that. <laughs> right. and, uh, and, and we're just gonna have to work through that is really, really, you know, you said one of the impacts of this program was that you know, you can do it. I think that's a beautiful manifestation of that, because you know that you can do it enough to be able to say, that's not something I know how to do. Let me figure it out. Or let me be very clear that that's I don't, I don't know how to do that. Exactly. Thank
0: you. Mm -hmm. Shall we move to some rapid fire questions? Do it. Okay. So we've talked a little bit about adversity that you've faced. Is there other other than that? Is there a failure in your history that you consider particularly valuable? Other than the adversity that you dealt with early on in our program?
2: I'll have to think about that one. Okay.
0: Uh, (laughs) Let's let's move. That's
2: always my example is i got bad grades and i got a <laughs> friend <it>.
1: right
0: right <laughs> I like
1: that's your interview that's answer, my, oh yeah.
2: 100% it's my star story <laughs>
0: right what what do you think is people's biggest misconception of you
2: oh that's a really good question that just because i'm young i will act impulsively i get that a lot mm-hmm. and i'm not sure. Sh- well maybe it may not be a youth thing it might be but I think well, it probably think it is. has something to do with it. Um, i also
0: be sexist.
2: Maybe yeah. a little bit. Might, <laughs> and might I might also be sexist. I didn't want to throw that one out there. I think it's more to do with my youth. And I also look a lot younger than I actually am. And that's a huge problem. But <laughs> that's definitely something that I deal with is that I'll be impulsive. or That I'll make decisions on the fly. And so I get a lot of people um, feel like they have to manage my decision making.
1: Wow. Yeah, that's a really good one. Hmm.
0: How do they, so is there a particular way that you see people trying to manage your decision-making?
2: It manifests as like micromanaging. Uh They'll say, well, send me this every single step of the way. And at this point, or, you know, send me a deliverable every single step of this decision-making process. And at this point, especially because I've been flying solo for the past two and a half months without a supply chain manager or like someone right above me to run things by, I've gotten really used to just, you know, okay, I'm going to pull the trigger on this because I work with, um, international suppliers. And so I need an answer from them overnight Mm -hmm. kind of thing. It's, or I'll work with them at night, um, to make sure I have a full conversation with them and nobody else is awake. You know, I have to literally make those decisions on my own. Mm -hmm. And, um, so yeah, that's the way is micromanaging for sure.
0: You'll have your deliverable, bro. It'll come in at 3 a.m. <laughs> yeah. but You want to get up and <laughs> give me an answer?
2: <laughs> that's, and, and honestly, I have told people that is I'm going to have a conversation with China tonight and you can be on that conversation if you want, but it's going to happen at midnight. you going to be awake for that? No. Oh. So then I'm going to go ahead Trust and make these and decisions. Make decision. yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I've, awesome. I have managed that expectation for sure. And I've said, listen, I've definitely sat people down at my company and said, listen, I promise you I'm not going to spend $5 million tonight. We'll get through it. We'll get through it.
0: I like to tell my wife. So I have a small esports business, and there are a couple of people that work with the organization that are overseas. And so I like telling my wife, in in a very important voice, that I have a, a conference call with Sweden tonight. <laughs> I just, you know, they're they're awake right now, babe. I know that it's late. Um, it's very early for them. Um, but I ha- I, have I have to go call. call with Sweden. I have to it go call Sweden <laughs> right now. I'm
1: sure Maddie so it. Yeah. 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 yeah, Maddie.
0: She's a big fan. Big fan. I have I, to. I just, just
1: rolls her eyes like okay it's probably like, yeah, yeah, whatever. <laughs> i
0: have to go call korea my love i'm sorry but it's important
2: i need to pull that on tim i think <laughs> you should. he thinks i'm like so important you
0: should you should <laughs> So, oh, if you could have anyone as a mentor for one day, who would it be?
2: Shannon Deere. Oh, yeah. I was, I was, you, you know so what? Good. I was gonna finish that question by saying, and it can't be Shannon. Really? So was.
0: <laughs> and then I decided, nah, I'm not gonna do that.
2: I've always thought that. And I honestly I didn't see that question before you said it. So I've I've always thought that I Shannon. I think I'm blushing. Uh, no, really, starting with that conversation you had and how impactful it was with me talking about, you know, this is the expectations we're for moving forward in the program. I thought, Shh, that is someone who really knows how to work with people. Mm-hmm. And I love working with people. You're an excellent example. That's really nice. <laughs> Man, <laughs> it's just it's a, little, true. <laughs>
0: it's a little dusty in here. Uh, so what is your fondest memory of TAMU?
2: Oh my gosh. Well, it's hard for me to even pick a place to start because I've been here for so long, but, mm-hmm. um, it could be undergrad too. It could be undergrad. Yeah, oh, yeah any no. Anytime. I think MBA was oh. so much more fun. I was pretty square for lack of a better word in undergrad. Um, and MBA was just like work hard, play hard for me. And I loved that. But, um, I would say we, we went out on Northgate a lot and I never had an undergrad, not once. and just the crazy shenanigans over on Northgate were a blast. They were so fun. Oh, wait a second, though. I do have a really good one. I may get a little bit misty, so bear with me. But the day that you, I don't know if you remember this, but I was walking around in the hallway, and I was so nervous finding out about my grades for the mini-mester. So nervous. like, Oh my gosh. And you sent me an email and you said, I was like, Shannon, please, I need to know something. And you sent me an email back and said, I can't tell you over email, but you're going to be very pleased. And I literally <laughs> basically telling you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I, I knew from Don't that Don't fire me. <laughs> <laughs> no, so I, I knew from that, you know, that I had at least done what I needed mm-hmm. to do. And I, I was in the women's bathroom when I looked at that email and I walked out and I ran into Caitlin, Syracuse. And I literally collapsed in her arms, crying, like in the middle of the hallway, you know. And I, I just couldn't. And she thought I had gotten uh, removed from the program, And so she starts freaking out. <laughs> I was like, I couldn't even talk. I was like, Kate, I can stay in, you know, I made it. Oh my gosh! And um, awesome. that was just oh my gosh. The I was so so happy. That was a really great memory.
0: I feel like such a bad friend now. I didn't. I didn't know this was happening.
2: Well, I told I was pretty open with a lot of people, but I didn't tell everybody, and I'm not sure why. I told a lot of people, but yeah, not not quite everybody. And I wish I had that important, Ben. Yeah, clearly. Jeez, but I think it. uh, After that point, I told like almost everybody who I. Just because it was an interesting experience. I told a lot of the younger students, like the Mm students, not younger, but the students coming in, Mm -hmm. I told them about it too. Like, Mm -hmm. this is what can happen. So you better be careful. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
1: I want to be clear that there are not very many dismissals from our program. Right. But there is a really high standard and and you do have to live up to it. And, And that is for a lot of reasons, but because we don't want students who, we don't want we want, we are doing a service for students and we don't want to do a disservice to students, right? We don't want to put students in situations that they can't handle and things like that. But also, I mean, the big issue is that you all now carry the Mays MBA brand to your employers. You represent us, but you also represent each other. And so you you all don't want students who don't carry that legacy while going out. So, you know, it's, it's a tricky It's a tricky balance of holding people to the standard and then it's that challenge and care I was talking about earlier, holding people to the standard and also giving them a safe place to make some mistakes and
2: Mm -hmm, and to learn as
1: well and to learn from that. Yeah, for sure. Well, definitely, I don't I never have had
2: any ill will toward the program for the fact that I struggled, you know, it just it was what it was. And I am still very appreciative of those high standards, especially because I was able to achieve them them. Yeah, Yeah. as
1: most students do. Exactly. That's exactly right. Were you and Tim dating in undergrad?
2: Yeah, we started dating in high school. Right oh, right after man. I graduated high school. He's a little bit younger. Wow. So he was one year. He was still in high school. Oh, we started dating. Yeah. And guess who asked him out? Me. Oh, I did nice. the asking out. I like that. It's so scary. I don't know how you do that. Like, guys, it's really scary. So I have so much empathy for guys that ask women out. It's
0: funny sure. because, you, like, at first, you know, when you're in, I don't know, junior high or high school, like, you just sort of... Like I think the way dating happens at those ages is it just sort of like kind of happens organically, and then all of a sudden we're we're uh, we're going out or we're like (laughs) I'm I'm going with her. Yeah, we're talking. Yes. Um, But then what you realize is that yeah, it's like there's you face rejection, and that's there's there's definitely something to that. I mean, it's not nothing. But Mm -hmm. but then what you realize eventually is that you regret the times more that you didn't ask and then you lost the opportunity or whatever and it's, it's so you just realize that it's it's better to better to find out what the answer is
2: it's worth the rejection that's yeah. how i felt at the time especially cuz i was like 17 what can go wrong you know <laughs> i just but it was at the time i was very <laughs> i just said i'm not impulsive but i'm super impulsive <laughs> i just called him and i said hey uh, maybe i even texted him before and said hey you need to call me or something like that i don't remember you need to call me yeah <laughs> it was like an emergency what yeah especially because we were friends so we weren't we were pretty tight but we, <laughs>
0: we <laughs> need to talk to him
2: <laughs> exactly it was a we need to talk was, what we aren't even dating anyway i called him and um like I picked up the phone was not nervous. And then as soon as he started talking, I was like, oh no. And it just, I went and hit, I was in my garage at my parents' house. And I was just like, hi. I was literally in a, um, <laughs> in like the fetal position on the ground talking. I was like, do you want to, do you want to go out sometime? That
1: is so <laughs> cute. Tim yeah. is so great, by the way. I, I will Aww. say partners are such an, uh, an important part of our program. Absolutely, I mean, We have the partner cohort, which we'll probably talk about in another episode, but, uh, just Partners who can kind of get together with each other and get together, but families are such an important part of our program. But I always love getting to see him at at all the different events and stuff. And well, he really loves
2: MBAs. Yeah, especially yeah. I mean, especially ours. Yeah, because they're pretty great. Tell him to come get his MBA. We'll take him. Oh my gosh, no, he'd do great. I already yeah. have talked to him about it, but hey, you know he's really dead set on that PhD. Oh well, you
1: know. <laughs> so those are good too. Yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> We're going to close with some good bull Bronte. Do you have any praise for someone who did something good or great in the community in the last uh, few weeks, months
2: in the community? Meaning what? Like, Oh, I mean, on-
0: honestly, anyone, I mean, it doesn't have to be an A&M person, but it can be.
2: Okay. Well, he happens to be an AM person because he's my boyfriend, Tim. Um, he, well, we, we graduated at the same time. Uh, so he got his master's degree when I got mine and I went to his thesis defense and he dedicated his thesis to me Aww. Aww. and it was pretty great. That's really <laughs> sweet. Plus that's kind of a side. He did really, really great research and it's very, um, he works with diesel internal combustion engines and he did me
0: too. That's yeah. so manly. That's such <laughs> a manly. Person. I
2: know, which is funny because Tim is like the least like, yeah. I mean, he's not like macho, I guess is the right, word. Right. Anyway, um, he did very, very good. And I think, um, what he wants to do going forward is very like environmentally friendly and really important research. And so I think good bull on him for pursuing that because it's so difficult. Very good bull mm-hmm. for him. And we just liked him. Yeah, we him. We do like him. I like him all right.
0: So that concludes our episode. We're going to split this into probably three parts and uh, we'd like to thank you for listening. If you have time to go on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts and give us a five-star rating we would greatly appreciate it also if you have any constructive feedback for us we we're always happy to hear that positivity appreciated but uh, we <laughs> want to hear the truth as well
1: but don't give us a four-star rating no. <laughs> a five-star, <nothing>. five-star only. <laughs> only go if you're gonna give us a five-star rating and <laughs> otherwise go. right thank you so that
0: closes <laughs> us out uh for today thanks and gig em. Thank you to our production team, producer Kyle Ackerman, executive producer Shannon Deer, and the host of the Mindless Millennials podcast and pre-launch executive producer Bailey Mullins. Give the Mindless Millennials podcast a listen. You'll find the Mindless Millennials show on Apple Podcast, Spotify, mindlessmillennials.com, or wherever you find your podcast content.